This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Cleveland Guardians credit to me for not saying Indians, winning the series three games to nothing. They are currently still, or actually, I think this is new. They are in sole possession of second place in the American League East. Now looks like a game and a half up on third place Tampa Bay, but still 11 games back from the New York Yankees. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and, at times, savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. It's another fun series. Always fun when you win them. This is just starting to become a really, really fun team to watch in every capacity. If we can win this Toronto series, which big if, you know, because we're going to be missing uh, at least one key player, uh, namely our closer. But if we win this Toronto Blue Jays series, we will have not lost a series in the month of June. How's that? It's pretty quality. Absolutely. Where can they find you on Twitter, Charlie? Smith underscore MLB is where you can find me. It's been a little active the past couple of days, mostly DMs telling me uh, how do you feel about being wrong this year, which is great. I'd love to be wrong, especially about, you know, the Red Sox killing it right now. They're doing absolutely insane. Couldn't agree more. Also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Joe Goddard. I'm a little upset, Charlie. No one's DMing me to tell me that I was wrong, and I've been harsher than you all year. So clearly, Charlie is the favorite, Terry, on, on the show. He's the fan I got favorite. Two, two people. Two, little, two different people. Well, a little round of applause for you, Charlie. That's two more yep. fans than I have. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's something to be proud of, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. Uh, like I said earlier, it's just been super fun to watch them play. It seems to have uh, a different fairy tale ending each game which is great. 
Always a new topic to talk it, it about. It feels a little 2013. Feels a little bit like June of 2013. Feels good. Sort of. Uh, we led the division that whole year, basically, but uh, I don't know. I'm still thinking there could be a, a Yankees collapse or or maybe somewhat of a collapse to kind of make the race a little more interesting. The Astros and them split the series, but uh, could have swept. The Astros could have. They coughed it up in the eighth inning today, and then on Thursday or Friday, coughed that one up in the ninth inning. So uh, maybe, perhaps, they'll be addressing their closer situation uh, over the next month at some point. Maybe Daniel Bard ends up in Houston. Oh, my God. I think Daniel Bard might end up in New York. That would be terrible for him. Chance he ends up in New York, uh, which I know wouldn't be great for his numbers, but he, he's pitching at Coors Field okay, where the ball travels pretty good there. Wouldn't be good for the Red Sox to see Daniel Bard in a Yankees uniform. But I, I think that's a trade that makes sense. They're in a position where they're definitely buying at the deadline. They're going to push their chips to the middle of the table before Aaron Judge walks away and gets an absolute bag in the offseason. 28 home runs so far for him. I know we keep saying, like, this pace can't continue. He's not going to hit 70 home runs, but he might hit 55 home runs. That doesn't feel like a stretch at this point. I'm not worried about the Yankees in the playoffs. They don't scare me, but they're definitely winning the division. Mark would have something to say about that, I think. Job, is it is it safe to say uh, outside of, of where fans can find you, are we going to get that trademark line of yours today? I will accept job applications. You can find me at J-O-B-M-L-B on Twitter. Um, and if you like me, please do send or, – or if you don't like my takes, please do send me DMs because I'm upset that Charlie's getting more messages than I am. That's a little upsetting. Only two. Only two. So I need three listeners to send me a DM this week. Speaking of getting chirped, because I, I, I don't think we we're going to talk about anything close to this anyway, so let's just throw it out right here. I asked a question on Twitter earlier on the at bastards underscore Boston account, just for anyone listening. If you can only bring back one next year, which I think would legitimately be the case anyway, do you bring back Avoldi or do you bring back Waka? Michael Waka. We knew Joe would say that. He'd have to resign from the Michael Walker fan club. Uh, from the, if the I went the other direction, I'd have to resign <laughs> for sure. I think Waka See, is I, going to command less money. Evaldi's yeah. the sure bet as far as who I would trust a little bit more. But if if we're going to go down. Old. How, old is Evaldi now? how old is Evaldi now? 32 or 33. going to be 33. Not that old. Like 35, 36. Oh, God. And how old is Waka? 31? 30. 31. Well, actually 29 technically, I think. Right. For a few for a few more days, yeah. So, oh man, it's just it's hard because like the Red Sox fall into this hole of giving thank you contracts out, and Evaldi would definitely be in line to get a thank you like one year deal. He's not going to take that. Uh, and Waka, if you offer him two years, I think he's more inclined to take. There's a higher probability of Waka taking two than Evaldi taking one. 
I think Waka's going to command a four-year deal, and I would give it to him through his age 34 season. Be okay with that? Or age 33 season going into 34? It's riskier, Um, but in terms of health, it's the safer bet. You know he's at least going to be healthy. And right, I, whether or not he can pitch is a different story. I would bring right. back Waka as well. So it sounds like we're basically unanimous, but people there's, chirped the hell out of me for even well, asking no, the question. There's no dislike for, for Evaldi on this show. In fact, we are the native Evaldi champions. If anything, we chirp Chris Sale more than we chirp anyone. And Evaldi gets a pass like every time for being you know, as good as he's been for the duration of the show uh, the last three seasons. But... Um, I don't want to ever see a David Price contract. Well, that I, I he got seven years, two hundred and seventeen million. I was just asking the whole question because I, for even asking it on Twitter, I got chirped like you wouldn't well, believe for even asking the question. Like, how I dare I ask question. the question? Well, I think it's a legitimate question because we've seen Winkowski succeed, right? So I think he might have a shot at 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 some point being a rotation piece and maybe the five guy next year. Bayo's um, going to be up. And yeah, Bayo's going to be up. And we also have, you know, a really big contract that, that we've given out to James Paxton for 10 million bucks. He's going to be playing Chris sale. And um, Chris sale at some point, hopefully will make 10 starts or more. So th- there's going to be a log jam. And I think the guy that you're willing to say goodbye to is probably Nate Evaldi at 34 years old, 35 years old. Uh, it makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, Job wishes for the audience to chirp him at J-O-B-M-L-B. And uh, we're, we're all open to it. So, uh, all right. So let's uh, get into the weekend top five it should be noted though going into this cleveland was a first place team for at least a day or two of this series minnesota's kind of fallen off a little bit but the series went like this game one red sox win six to three nick pavetta had that game game two red sox win that one four to two that was with josh winkowski on the mound and then today in the finale Red Sox win that one eight to three with Rich Hill. So we'll get into the weekend top five as to the top five contributors as to how the series got won. We're going to start in the five spot. Job, who is it? Well, we're going to start with game three and it's going to go to Rich Hill here. Anyone who didn't watch this game, and just looked at the line, would definitely agree. If you watch this game, there's probably a couple of people who are saying it should go to someone else because he was in trouble uh, early and often. But he pitched out of it every single time. I know he got some help from his defense, specifically Rafi Devers at third base. Great play um, today to double off Rosario from second base uh, in the bottom of the fourth inning. Uh, with two guys on and nobody out. But um, Rich Hill was phenomenal. Anytime Rich Hill gives you six innings of five-hit, one-run baseball, you're very happy with it. When he also does that while striking out five to drop his ERA to a 4.09, you got to be over the moon. Rich Hill has been consistently 
available for every team that he's pitched for recently, you know, in the last five years. But he hasn't been this guy in a couple of seasons. And when he's this guy at your number five slot, the Red Sox are going to be really, really hard to stop. He gave you six innings, five hits, two runs, dominance, or one run, dominance. Love it. Uh, Charlie, you mentioned that he got squeezed by the umpires a little bit. I, I agree with that. Um, in our pre-show, the, the one moment that I thought he looked really, really good was following up a 73-mile-an-hour curveball with, like, 89-90 right up in the eyes. Right, It was actually a little bit too middle for me. I wanted a little more outside, but middle in fastball challenge piece as Eck would put it to strike out you know to strike out the third hitter in the inning I believe it was Rosario in that inning with uh one on and, and two outs fantastic from Rich Hill today yeah there's not much to there's not much more to add on top of that there was one at bat I was watching this with my dad and we were kind of getting a chuckle out of it that the uh the pitch the pitches in order that I can remember was curveball 73, curveball 73, slow curve 67, curve 74, slider, uh, I think it was like 81, then fastball 90.5. Um, it was kind of like a – That must best. play like 105. It, it's just insane because like how do you how do you play a guy that can throw something 60 and then 90 on the next pitch? You really – I mean it's crazy because I can hit 60, I can hit 70. I'm pretty sure I can hit 80. Don't know if I can hit 90. But, I mean, to be thinking 60 and then you see 90 come at you, just wild. His arm angle does give it a little – like, give it a little away. Um, when he's throwing that sidearm pitch, you know that's going to be the slider. Otherwise, it's more kind of like three quarters when he comes down. When he's throwing that sidearm pitch, you know it's going to be the slider. That's the one tell um, I think that some hitters have. But this is his second-best appearance of the year. Um, he's given us two quality starts – in the month of June as far as innings pitched metric based because he's given us a lot of quality games, but six innings is the number. I don't know if he's gone more than six this year. I could be wrong, um, but I know he did well against Oakland and he faced Oakland twice in the month of June. He just did great against the Guardians. I'm super pumped that a 42-year-old guy is doing better in the rotation than a guy like Garrett Richards ever had a chance to do in Boston. <laughs> I will not get over that signing. That was ridiculous. I'm still annoyed by it. Garrett Richards had no business in the rotation. Rich Hill is everything we wanted, everything we asked for. I'm super appreciative that the guy from Boston is is playing for his hometown team and doing some amazing work. So He went uh, six on four other occasions, Charlie, but never yeah. passed six innings. There you go. And what what more can you ask for somebody who's 42 years old? That is incredible quality from that gentleman. So, you know, Rich Hill, if you listen to this, I tip my cap, sir. Fantastic job. Well done, sir. His first three innings were kind of messy, as uh, Job was saying. Three out of his four walks were um, in those innings. Um Four of his uh, five hits were also in the first three innings. And then he settled down pretty nice. Uh, inning number four, that was a one, two, three inning. Inning number five, one, two, three inning. 
He started uh, the sixth inning by giving up a walk and then a double, so that put runners on uh, second and third, and um, one of the runs scored on a fielder's choice. So that's where the only run he gave up was in his sixth and final inning, but it was a great outing and one you're going to take every time from Rich Hill. I pointed out, I think, either at the start of this series or no, actually, I think it was before his uh, previous start, his home road splits, kind of extreme. <laughs> at home, which is, you know, Fenway's not a very hitter-friendly park to uh, primarily pitch-to-contact guy, unless your name's Michael Walker for some reason. Uh, but... Well, the reason, Terry, for that metrically change is up. because the monster is really friendly to right-handed hitters, right? With pull power and and Rich Hill he's he get if he makes a mistake it's usually to a right-handed hitter. Yeah, cuz he's a lefty starter. But his uh his home numbers are he's got an ERA at home Rich Hill does 6.49. That's ungodly. But on the road, he's essentially an ace. He's got a 2.67 uh ERA. And he's even pitched uh, more innings uh, on the road as well. 33 and two-thirds innings on the road versus uh, 26 and one-third at home. So it's even a bigger sample size on the road. He's only given up two home runs on the road, six home runs at Fenway. Uh, interestingly, he's struck, struck out 25 at home, 25 on the road. So here's the question. Should he be the closer on the road? Is that instead? Should you just only pitch or you on mean the road at home? That's what I mean. Yeah. So should the Red Sox get a little more creative here with Hill and and pitch him more on the road? And perhaps as you're getting guys like Sale and Paxton back, you know, pitch maybe Winkowski at home. That would make the 26 man roster kind of funky. It's unorthodox, but I, I love it. I almost don't want to see Hill pitching at home. He did win, or the Red Sox did win in his previous start before today against the Tigers, uh, which I felt like we stole as bad of a team as as they are. So I, I don't. I know. called that one. I called that one a sweep. And it's also hard to imagine that. Hill is going to be here once you you do have both Sale and Paxton. I would imagine that him and Paxton are pretty interchangeable as far as somebody making the start. The thing with Hill is, I mean, he's the pitching version of Iron Man, right? I mean, he's not Cal Ripken, but he's 42, and he's going to show up every single time and pitch. So he's he's kind of the elite guy to have. It's funny to note, they did mention this today in the broadcast, Rich Hill pitched for the Indians in 2018, and every single appearance was out of the bullpen. He made 60 appearances in a single season out of the bullpen for Tito Francona. And he was very effective. I I like the idea. That's certainly an option. I mean... It's impossible to predict that the last show we did was with uh, Charlie and, and Mark Rollins. We talked about the trade deadline and it's so hard to guess which way Bloom is going to go. 
Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. I think if if Bloom tries to sell at the deadline. Oh no no, I, he's not selling. I'm I'm just saying okay. in terms of buying, is it going to be the bullpen? Is it going to be an outfielder or first baseman? Like Josh Bell. Which way? That'd be insane. If we get Josh Bell, that would be insane. I'm just curious to know what the package, what they're going to ask for. Exactly. That's why it's not going to be a huge splash because he's not going to give up a huge haul here. He's going to, he won't do it. He's going to address one major area possibly. And then, you know, that's going to be it. Hang on. I did. Oh, here it is. I did a poll on Twitter on the bastards account again. And I asked this very question. I think this was the day after we recorded the last episode. I said, Red Sox should focus on which area as we approach the trade deadline. I said, starting pitching, bullpen, outfield, or first base. 80% said the bullpen. (laughs) Here's the hilarious thing. I still want an outfielder. That's what I would focus on. Only 2.2% chose outfield. 7.9% 7.9% said first base, 9.8% said starting pitching, which is well, insane to me. Well, we're going to talk me. a lot about, about the outfield as we go through this show. And I'll True. explain to you, Terry, when we get there, why, why you're wrong. You're wrong to want to want a bullpen, uh, to want an outfield piece and not a bullpen piece. We can we can have that debate. I'm just, I, I know your angle here. I Believe me, I do. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just worried about sustainability here. I hope... I hope your angle ends up being uh, what ends up happening. But, uh, yeah, all right. So enough with the uh, Twitter account. So good start by Rich Hill. As many as he can steal for us at 42 years of age. I'd give him an extension. (laughs) That ain't happening. Uh, And he might have even said in the last week or two that this is his final year anyway. Um, but, uh, Charlie, go ahead. Number four spot. Who is it? Yeah. Number four for us is Christian Arroyo, who, uh, was getting people in, even getting hit by a pitch to score runs, which is wild. So it was that and a just rocket shot to deep center, um, 400 feet. And that, that put the game almost out of reach. Um, but Arroyo did fantastic. This is somebody who, you know, last year, I want to say spent, what, five or six different stints on the IL, which is brutal, really difficult to follow, really difficult to watch, but he's put together um, a nice little bounce back, which is nice. Um, Didn't really do too much outside of that. You know, came in as a, I think he pinch ran in one game as well. Um, Otherwise, quiet month. This is the loudest he's been in a while. So um, fantastic job. Arroyo's hit easily won us the game there. Uh, I find it difficult to, argue that we had some some great relief from schreiber Hauk, not the best uh at least not in game one there um but hard to argue arroyo knocked a runner in by getting hit by a pitch and then hit a two-run rocket to deep center so arroyo for me it's it's tough to disagree with that right because he got he gave you a win he gave us a win in the five slot gave you a chance to win but Arroyo gave you the win. And for a guy that's been a spark plug anytime he plays, that's why we were demanding he play more last season if he could stay healthy. It's because every time he plays, I feel like the team plays a little bit harder. 
They play with a little more edge. Um, anytime he can contribute, very happy with it. Um, extremely pleased with Arroyo in this series. I've been saying for much of the past week that every night it's it's a different guy that comes through for you. Nobody was thinking Christian Arroyo was going to have a big night as he came into this game. I think I want to say this was his first game as well, uh, being activated off the COVID list. And I mean, I'm an Arroyo guy. Do I think he's ever going to be the cornerstone? No. Do I think his future is long-term in Boston? Probably not. But I like the energy he brings. I love his intensity. I think he is becoming a better right fielder with each passing game out there. Do I think he's ever going to be above average? Probably not, but I, I think he's going to be adequate. And you had a 2-2 a game, and he just launches one. And, you know, it was in the seventh inning. And when you're tied at that point in the seventh inning, you're already thinking, okay, geez, we're going to have – somebody's got to come through for one, and then we got to walk the tightrope with our bullpen. And that two-run cushion was all we needed. And Schreiber came in after that, and – Hauk uh, came in and, and got the save. So um, what, just a, another example of uh, another guy stepping up, Charlie. So earlier, uh, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks that three of us were together. We were talking about what is the, the number of runs that you need to have before you feel insecure. And when Arroyo went yard, it was 4-2. Um, it felt like we were kind of going to take it away, but it didn't, it did, it just didn't really kind of go that, that crazy. Um, I'm pretty sure there was no outs when he had the home run. Um, when I was like looking back, cause that was the only game that I wasn't able to watch. I feel better now about a two run lead than I have all year and all last year. I didn't think I'd be able to say that when we even had, a three or a four run lead earlier this year, because there's a chance we could lose that lead, go into extras. And if it went to extras, the first, I think it was six or seven games, we didn't win an extra, extra innings. We just couldn't get it done. So I felt great about that. Um, when he hit that home run, uh, just, you know, kind of recapping it. I would have felt that as soon as that happened, I felt pretty good. I think that this is, this is a team that could potentially be scary. This is a fourth, almost fifth place team in the American League East. Unacceptable. We now find ourselves several games out behind the New York Yankees in second place, sole possession. That is not something that a large group of us in our group, uh, in this in this crew, thought was going to happen. We've abs- This team has absolutely turned it around. Uh, it's incredible. And Arroyo was the hero in game one. Was he the hero in game two and three? No. We had different heroes in those games, and that's what makes this team so special. I was ready to fire Heimblum, and uh, then the team decided to play baseball. So what do I know? Very impressed to get contributions from the entire lineup. This team is so much better when Vasquez plays well and when guys off the bench can step up and do the little things. 
And Arroyo said, to hell with the little things. I'm going to go win us a game. Uh, what a great piece of hitting. Terry, you mentioned it. He's coming straight off the COVID IL. I wonder if he's feeling the pressure for his roster spot. That's something we might have to talk about as we as we get into things deeper in the season because every young kid they bring up to replace somebody so far has worked out. And Rob Refsnyder might be putting some pressure on there. I would still probably keep Arroyo regardless. I, um, I, I, I'm hoping Kike is going to come back anyway at some point, but it doesn't uh, look like we're, we're that close to getting him. Um, I just counted nine, going back to Charlie's point, with how many runs does it take for you to feel safe. I just counted nine wins so far in the month of June. That were two runs or less. We lost all of those games in April and May. Right. All of and them. We absolutely agree. And now we're getting those wins. We're, we're getting a little bit better uh, run support for our starters. Our starters are able to go a little bit longer. And you got some lockdown guys that uh, Job is the president of about four fan clubs. And, <laughs> and we've, we've all said, you know, Schreiber hasn't pitched well, that hold on. much. I, I, you started, know. I started two of those. He did start two of them. I, 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 it's exaggerating, but there's one in particular that it, it's it's the second one though. It, you're two for two on on hits here. Um, this is one that we just weren't really sure, and all of a sudden, John, you you got Schreiber, who's your lockdown guy in the eighth or seventh inning. If he's coming in, you feel warm and fuzzy. You know that it's going to be a really really good game. If he's closing out games, I'm feeling okay. I don't remember his numbers now, but I know his ERA was under one. His whip was probably like 0.8 or something. He's just been insane. Um, pulling it up now. So is Shriver, for example, 0.79, 0.71 ERA whip slash. That's incredible. I, I, we have a bullpen now. Matt Barnes isn't here. We're winning games. Kiki Hernandez isn't here. We're winning games. All the pieces that we thought we absolutely needed, we're doing fine without them. So this is great to see. You're absolutely right. And and just on the on the Schreiber note, he's given up two runs this entire season. Twenty two and a two thirds innings pitched, twenty seven strikeouts. So sign me up for the uh the John Schreiber closer train that I started in September uh, in uh April. And uh, everyone's welcome aboard especially with some of the other things going on in the team. But we can we can move on to number three here, I think. Uh, Terry, who do you have in the three spot? For the second straight show, we're going we're gonna to profile Jaron Duran. He was a stud uh, in the previous show is what I meant to say. I'll tell you what. He, Jaron, if you're listening, I, I know that he's probably listening. Most of them do. You, he's probably upset that what does he have to do to get number two? I mean, he's he's been great, but <laughs> this is the side of the show you want to be on the positive side, Jaron, because we'll let you hear it when you struggle. Yeah, and he had a great series, uh, six for fifteen. He was zero for five in the first game, which you know was why he was only six for fifteen. 
His only strikeout was also in that first game, and then he went four for five in game two, uh, drove in a run, and uh, two for five today with a walk. Stole a couple of bases in game two. He also, uh, in games two and three, uh, got on base right away. First at bat, on base. He's, I don't, is he going to sustain 327, the average that he has? Probably not. But could we be pleasantly surprised if he's a 270 to 280 hitter? And then with that speed, he's a bona fide leadoff guy. And we haven't had one of those in in quite some time since Mookie Betts was here. Well, he profiles as a leadoff guy that we had before Mookie Betts. Jacoby? You know, who went to wear pinstripes and Jacoby Ellsbury. They're very, very similar players. People remember Jacoby as the guy who hit 30 home runs in that 2011 campaign. He's not that version of Ellsbury, but he's, he's eerily similar to the version of Ellsbury before that where it was, you know, 12 home runs. He's hitting 280, 290. And he's stealing 30 bags as the fastest guy in the league. Jaron Duran makes things happen with his legs, whether or not he's stealing bases. Today he did get caught stealing. Still, I, I still want him to run. Red Sox are 22 of 25 on stolen bases this year. That's great. Fantastic. Um, but I want Jaron Duran running. I want him on the base paths. Terry, when he took that walk in the first inning, I was thinking straight ahead, okay, they're going to give Rafi Devers something to hit because now all of a sudden they're thinking about the guy on first and he's going to get one that hangs over the middle. He just makes it easier for other guys on the team to hit. And when you have that in the one spot, it changes the whole game. You mentioned it, one strikeout on 15 at-bats. He's making good contact. Even if he's not getting on base, he's putting together quality at-bats and that'll keep him in the big leagues. Uh, two other things real quick before we pass it off to Charlie. You, you did basically kind of just touch on it. He drove a couple of balls out to the warning track. So we're starting to see some of that power that he was showing in double A and then triple A. And I know uh, Worcester is, you know, pretty hitter friendly, especially out to right field where a lot of lefties have been kind of, you know, making Launch their mark. The Another thing too. He was very busy out in center field this weekend as far as he played very well. He did. He didn't really have anything too dicey to have to try to chase down. But but there was a lot of uh, a lot of activity in center field and a lot of repetition. And we need to we need to see him get comfortable that way when when he does have to run out to that warning track to to snag one either into the triangle or up against the monster. He's able to do that. I mean, yeah, Terry, you mentioned his power. His power came, it doesn't necessarily even show up on, you know, the scorecard because he drove the ball a couple of times and it was a fly out to the warning track. It just reads as, you know, F8. But in reality, he's putting some, he's putting barrel on ball and uh, we don't need home runs from him, but he could easily become a doubles machine the way he hits the ball. If he can learn how to use the monster, he's going to be dangerous. He actually hit the two of his hits went off the wall out there, you know, that bounced off the base of it or onto the warning track. So he's just, he's really getting into a groove and, 
it's nice to see him play small ball, you know, with, with some of those infield singles and the bunts and whatnot. But I'm just really intrigued by him. There's nobody else in the lineup right now that intrigues me more than Jaron Duran. Charlie. Yeah, so what I what I like about Duran is that outside of the fact that, Job, you just touched up on the fact that one strikeout in 15 at-bats. You have some players that are striking out five, six times in 15 at-bats. He's also getting on the doubles train. This is somebody that at the beginning of the year, even last year, was, okay, cool. If we have to get somebody, who are we going to trade? Well, Duran's probably going to be a part of that package. You know, maybe we'll let another team see what happens. But thank God we were patient enough to give Jaron Duran a proper chance. Look what he's done with a small sample size opportunity. He he did everything possible in the second and third game. I mean, the two games that I saw, he hit 600. He was 6 for 10. He's hitting singles, hitting doubles, knocking guys in, stealing bases, doing all the things that we just weren't doing at the beginning of the year. Like the Red Sox were not on the list of teams that were going to steal a base. They were on the team that could maybe get caught stealing, but we weren't taking chances. Jaron Duran got caught stealing for the first time this year, today. Do I think it's going to be the last time he steals base? No, I think by the end of next week, he's probably going to have two more stolen bases minimum. Guy's got wheels for days. And if they allow him to, you know, kind of get stretched out a little bit, yeah, there's proper justification behind what Terry just said. This is someone who could be very, very interesting. He's very intriguing. And cheap. He had almost half the hits in game two. Like, dude, what? That's insane. There were six guys. He scored from third on wild pitch today as well. Yeah. I mean, he's putting the pressure on defenses. It's fantastic. He, uh, wait, um, no, no, I, I don't think it was a wild pitch. He scored on like a bad throw. I'm pretty sure. Oh, you're right. Mistaken. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it, it was it, it, third. Yeah. It was, it was a right. Um, so this was, this was just a guy that, you know, Jaron Duran on the base path. If Jaron Duran is at first base, you have to think about things as an opposing team of what you want to do. How do you want to attack this? Because it's not like having Rafael Devers at first base. It's not like having Xander Bogarts at first base. This is a constant threat to get to second base. A single into center field. I mean, here's the thing. He's going to score first. He's going to score. In the first inning of today's game, He got you know he's on base. He goes to steal second base. He gets caught stealing. Let's imagine he's at second base. That single that J.D. Martinez ripped into center field, he's scoring on that. There's no question. Absolutely none. He's scoring on that 10 times out of 10. And that is what we haven't had in a long time. Joe and Terry, you both mentioned it since we had Mookie Betts and since we had Jacoby Ellsbury. We finally have a stale he's not. Still. He's not those players yet. He's not. Yeah. No, not yet. To, to know that that's your, your point, right? We're not right. saying he's Mookie Betts. Right, but from a speed standpoint, he's lethal, and he causes teams, opposing teams have to rethink their strategy with him on base because Absolutely. it's not like having a slow guy. He's incredible. He's fun to watch. Just pulling up Ellsbury's numbers real quick. So he was a career 284 hitter, only hit 104 bombs, I think. What, what did he hit in his first full big league season? So that'd be 2008. His first full big league season, he was a 280 hitter with a 336 on base. He hit nine home runs that year and uh, drove in 47. I think Duran, if he's able to establish himself as a bona fide major leaguer, he's going to eclipse Ellsbury's power numbers. I absolutely agree. So because Jacoby Ellsbury was a, I I think so too. Ellsbury had one year flash in the pan. The rest of it, he was never that. He was never really that good. He was a stolen bases phenom. He hit fifty three times in Boston. 
I don't think he hit 40 or 50 once in New York. This is this guy was the definition of lethal. He led the league in stolen bases two, three, maybe four times. I think it was three because, times in a row. I, I don't remember the numbers, but I know he had 70. Here you and go. I know he had 50. Only twice in his whole career, which uh, was 11 years, did Jacoby Ellsbury hit double-digit home runs. One was 2011 when he was runner-up to Justin Verlander for MVP. And yep. the, the other time was... Just what do you have, a, a dozen home runs in the uh, other year? Uh, a little bit more than that. He, in 2014, that was his first year with the Yankees. He hit 16. Yeah, With exactly. that short right field. Exactly. So. He hits maybe five the next year. You know, like he was a flash in the pan. I don't want to make any foul assumptions, assuming that he did anything different. But when you go from and, – and granted, the year before that, he, he got cut short because of injury. He had a really good year a couple of years before that. That's when he was like a crazy stolen bases threat. It was also, it was also his free agency year, and that, that always drives guys to focus a little bit more in that offseason. Sure, but he was never the same after that. He, was, he wasn't even remotely close. It just was not the same guy anymore. And I, I was okay when he walked. I'm glad the Red Sox didn't pay him. But Duran's got a higher ceiling. He has a higher ceiling and a higher floor. But Jaron Duran – I think he won you this this series because in games two and three, if you have Jaron Duran pulling up numbers that Kike Hernandez was putting up when before he went on the injured list, which is he goes three for 15 and he's got five strikeouts, obviously the no speed, and I think you lose. I really do. I think you lose. The pressure that he puts on the defense is enormous. So I, I think he's a major contributor to this series. And I think it's really good for him and his career that he was because we know he's not available in the next series uh, due to the can- Canadian COVID-19 regulations. So it, it was important that he kind of go on a break f- with a high note, kind of reset a little bit, and uh, I hope he'll be back in three days with the Sox ready to uh, be our leadoff guy every day. Without looking... What's the most stolen bases Ellsbury had in a season? Just throw a number. 70. Uh, 70. Yeah. Charlie already saw it. Yeah. So no, no. He, I had him in fantasy that year. To have more than him, okay. right? I was all about Jacoby. So he had an insane 70 stolen bases in 2009, led the league that year, of course. Year before that, he only had 50 but still led the league, and then finally in his walk year. Only 50. The Red Sox were halfway through the season have only tried 25 attempts. <laughs> just that's, a, that's a lot of stolen bases compared to now. Yeah, you know, Teams don't do that anymore. Um, but Jaron Duran's the guy you just kind of say, look, no, you steal as much as you want. If you think you can get it, get it. 2013, Ellsbury had uh, 52, and that was his final year uh, with the Red Sox. His most with the Yankees was 39 uh, the following season in 2014. So here's a question, then we'll finally move on to the second spot on the list. Can Duran get to 50 in this day and age of MLB? Is 50 reasonable? This season, no. At any point in his career, I I think absolutely. I think there's a legitimate chance that if you have – Jaron Duran is your leadoff guy, and Rafi Devers hitting second. It opens up the possibility for that. But I also think it's going to be up to him. He has all the tools to do it. It's just a matter of 
is he patient enough to get on base enough to do that? I'm crunching some numbers right now. So Starling Marte led MLB in 2021 with 47. So that's what led in 2021. I'm going to skip back to 2019 right now. When was the last time somebody had 50? Well, that's what I'm getting at here. Uh, 2019, Malik Smith led MLB he with 46. So we're still not okay, at. And it didn't 50. happen in the COVID season, so you got to go. I, I skipped that but, one. That was just 2019 that I did. We're on 2018 now. Whit Merrifield led that year with 45 stolen bases. Oh, he's so good. I'm still upset he's not on the Red Sox. And we'll. Do you guys to- remember? Well, you guys remember when, um, oh, my God, Juan Pierre was there for a while. Jose Reyes had – he hit 60 once or twice. Um, Houston had their super speedster. Um, he came to Boston, I think, too. Michael Bourne. Michael Bourne was ha- was super fast. D. Gordon was fast. D. Gordon um, led uh, 2017 with 60, and then Jonathan VR. Uh, excuse me, 2017 was D. Gordon with 60. Jonathan VR in 2016 uh, had 62. So it's been five years since the 50 barrier was broken. I'm going to go back one more time here. This is 2015. Uh, D. Gordon again led that year with 58. So uh, it's, He was so fast. It's been since uh, 2017 since uh, anyone's hit 50 or more, so... Uh, all right, uh, I think it's Charlie in the two spot. Go ahead. It's actually Job. Oh, Job. I'll, I'll my take bad. the two spot just because yeah. it, it keeps the balance right. I like balance. Uh, we're gonna go with Alex Verdugo. Um, I know there was a piece by Chris Cotillo today that Charlie sent me about how Verdugo doesn't want to be compared to Boogie Betts. He never has. But now it's time we can evaluate that trade. We saw Jeter Downs in the last series against Detroit. Alex Verdugo's not Mookie Betts. He'll never be Mookie Betts. We don't need him to be Mookie Betts. In this series, Charlie, the the most impressive stat for me was the four walks. You and I talked about that off air. The fact that he's commanding the strike zone so well now bodes very well for the future. He's also playing a very, very good left field. I'm, I've been extremely impressed with his defense. But in reality, the reason that he gets the number two slot is he won you the series with his three-run monster home run to right in the eighth inning of game two. That really felt like a momentum shifter. If you lose that game... Then I think you you know you're looking at the series a little bit differently going into Game Three, and all of a sudden we're not uh, on an undefeated series streak in June. So Alex Verdugo is my guy at number two, and if he can get hot and go on a little bit of a run here, the way everybody else is playing, this team is is going to win a lot of baseball games as we get into the dog days here. Yeah, Doogie did fantastic. He had 455 for the series. You already touched up on it. Three big walks in today's game, a three-run jack in game two. Uh, It's what I was saying earlier. It's a different player every game helping us. It's a different hero. And people are going to say that Verdugo is not a different hero 
or the hero uh, for game three and say, okay, he won game game two, whatever. Uh, only one out of the three games was him. He's hitting 305 in his last 30 games. Like, he is he is contributing to this team every night, Charlie, and it's it's right. impressive. It's quality. Uh, I can't take that away from him. Um, I, I'm still going to stick with what I said. You know, he may not have a home run every game or an RBI every game. He may go a whole series with nothing, two series with nothing. But when he's on, he's on. I mean, I, I'd be shocked if I didn't see him scoring um, a couple more runs. And where you see him in the lineup, too, there's going to be guys on base. There's going to be people to knock in. And if there's nobody to knock in and you have the ability of getting on base to set up the guys after you, you are playing great small ball. And that is what I really, really am excited for. This isn't the team that's going to try to mash and hit home runs every single at-bat. You're hitting with some huge protection behind you. No one wants to face Trevor Story, but Trevor Story's slumping. So they're going to face you. You get on base, and then you have Trevor Story that could potentially get a little bit of pop. J.D. Martinez might already be on base. Maybe Devers is on base. Now you're setting up for Dugo or Story for runners at first and second. This lineup is disgusting. I don't want to change anything. This is scary. And Verdugo had a fantastic series. No strikeouts, four walks, three extra base hits. I will take that every day. Fantastic job. I picked the Red Sox to sweep this series. In the last show when we were given our picks, I said, you know what? I know it's Winkowski and Bieber in game two, but I, I like the fact that Winkowski hasn't rattled and Bieber has a 6.95 ERA against the Red Sox in his career. So boldly, I picked the Red Sox to win game two. That three-run bomb that Alex Verdugo hit was off of Shane Bieber and essentially sunk him uh, as far as getting the win as it turned out. So really impressed there. I'm really surprised that Verdugo is been an effective five hole hitter. If you would have told me at the start of the season that, Hey, Alex Verdugo is going to be your number five hitter for most of the season. I would have said, boy, are we in trouble? Cause that dude couldn't hit up in the two spot. In the bottom third of the order last year, he was okay. Uh, but he's really pulling his weight right now. And the dude seldom ever strikes out. Didn't strike out the whole series. So I just... Great I, command of the strike zone. He takes a lot of close walks. A lot of his walks are 3-2. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. This isn't uh, the Alex Verdugo I expected uh, for for 2022, and he's getting better and better. He he could have a monster second half. I I hope so. If he has a monster second half, then all of a sudden this team is really deep. Like the lineup goes one through six, or maybe two through seven, depending on how we set it up, and that is lethal, especially when. You have guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. at the bottom of your lineup who are streaky but strikeout machines. To have the rest of the line moving is extremely important, and everybody's contributing. Only 30 strikeouts 
on the year. So pretty, uh, pretty robust. When I think about uh, any players that don't, you know, strike out very, very rarely, there's one name that comes to mind and he did not play for the Red Sox. He did, however, spend a little bit of time with the New York Yankees and it was damn hard to strike him out. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Wade. No, you lost me. Yeah. Who is it? Outfielder Ichiro Suzuki. It was incredibly difficult to strike him out. I don't ever remember him striking out ever. Did you really just make an Ichiro Suzuki to Alex Verdugo comparison? You know what? If you can keep this up now, I would love to see that. It's such a random statistic. It's like uh, Joey Votto. What's his strikeout numbers? I don't know, but whatever you're smoking, Charlie, I I want some because Verdugo's not Ichiro. That's just not – that's not it. No, but when I – But if he's half of Ichiro. If he's a fifth of Ichiro. Then he's he's still probably in the Hall of Fame. So he's not going to be half of Ichiro, right? Ichiro is one of the best hitters uh, of a generation. If he's a quarter of Ichiro, he's an all-star, and that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it every day. Only nine strikeouts for Verdugo in the whole month of uh, June so far. So, what, What's his pace, Harry? Do we know what his strikeout pace is? I mean, we can multiply. It would see. be Hold about on. 60, wouldn't it? Because we're about... Little, little over 60, maybe 65 to 70. Okay, which, that's elite. Uh, that's elite. That, that's elite. And let's see, Ichiro Suzuki, I'm just, you know, spitballing here. How do we, we feel a... about Verdugo in the one hole? Let's just, no. let's, do, let's have that no. conversation. No, just no. Jaren no. Duran's no. already going to be the goat you're in smoking. G- Exactly. Jaren's already got I'm it. I'm just kidding. We just had the conversation about Jaren Duran being the number one leadoff option. Yeah. I just, guy who doesn't strike out, that's awesome. That's, it's incredible. That's all it's you incre- want. It, it's incredible. Mike Strout, Mike, Mike Strout, Mike Trout has struck out 76 times. Aaron Judge has struck out 77 times. I'm trying to get... Ah, crap, it's not letting me. Yeah, you got What are you looking for, Terry? I can pull uh, it up right now. I'm just trying to see where uh, Verdugo was in strikeouts, but it won't let me flip the list. Ah, uh, see, if you tell me how many he has, I can tell you where he is. He's got 30 on the year. He's got 30 on the year. Okay, so that puts him in the top 5% of of all players. Because 30 would put him... There are 287 players in Major League Baseball who have struck out more times than him. Almost 300. There's 25 players on each ball club, Right. There's, on any given team, 14, 14 offensive players. So let's do it. 14 times 30. There's 420 ball players, And he's in the top 100. So he's in the top 30% of all players in, in Major League Baseball. Now, when you consider regular starters, that probably shrinks from 14 per, players per team to 12. So he's in the top. 15 to 20% for strikeouts. Very impressive. Uh, Elite, like you said. All right. Let's get to the one spot. Charlie, who's number one for the weekend? Dude, this is the easiest one. Like, you know, I've used this reference several, several weeks now. Being the weatherman in L.A., 
one of the easiest gigs, and you've got to give it to Nick Pavetta. Pavetta has been giving quality appearance after quality appearance after quality appearance. Only one start over his last 10 did not go for a minimum of six innings. Only one start in his last 10 did he not get a win or a no decision. He is 8-1 and one in his last 10. It is as automatic as automatic gets for Nick Pavetta. Seven innings or more for the third straight start and fourth in the month of June. The guy is 4-1 and one in June. He closes it out there. I don't know if he'll have. He might have one more start in there. 2.12 ERA, which is one hundredth of a point worse than what he did the month prior when he went four and one again. The guy is so automatic. I don't know if there's a team that's going to be able to figure him out, at least now. He's going two, three times through the lineup, and he's figuring them all out. You take a run, that's fine. We'll put up a four. We'll put up three. He allows two, that's fine. We'll drop six. It doesn't seem to matter. This team is playing fantastically preferred Pavetta. I, I think Job said it on the last show. You thought Pavetta could get a chance to get maybe 20. I said, yeah, I think he's going to get 18 wins. I think it's going to be 17, 18 would be would be probably the, the ceiling there. Minimum 16. He is just pitching lights out. This is a far cry of what we saw at the beginning of the year. Like three weeks into the season, he's got an ERA over 10. Now it's humming just over 3-2. Guy has been fantastic. And still dropping. It's going to keep dropping. And it's still going down. You know, this is absolutely insane. Two runs, nine hits. The hit number was a little bit of a, you know, little flag there. No walks, four punch outs. He did give up the home run, but everything is just smooth sailing for this guy. He's getting well over 66% strikes, 66 out of 98. Percentage? 67. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're almost throwing 7 out of 10 for strikes. You're not walking anybody. Your team's cleaning them up. They're getting runs on the board for you. <laughs> what else do we need to say? Well, the, the only thing you can say is that we have to be a little bit careful about, about the upcoming series in Toronto because they're the team that I really don't want him to face. They had his number last season. So that's kind of, for me, that's the last test that Nick Pavetta has to face before I'm just ready to say he's an ace is I, I want him to see I want to it's, see him against Toronto we'll, we'll, we'll talk about matchups in a second but you know it, it's going to be the more the most exciting of the three games to watch no aren't they all any game that Pavetta's pitching is is becoming appointment viewing Terry anything you want to say about Nick Pavetta well, he did have one or two good starts against Toronto last year, and we know he started to really figure it out against the Yankees late in the year. So uh, certainly going to come in handy here uh, in the uh, next three weeks or so. But uh, there, there's not really a lot I can add. I think you guys about covered it. It's a different Nick Pavetta every time out. Sometimes he's punching out a, a ton of guys. Sometimes the walks are up. Sometimes the hits are up. Sometimes the contact outs are up. But the one theme that we've seen from him over the course of this 10-game run is the dude is eating up innings. He's eating 88 them. 88 and two-thirds innings pitched. 
eating them like the cookie monster. I can see where he ranks in the American League real quick. Nick Pavetta, uh, surprisingly, he's... Uh, he's actually not that high. And the reason being is in April, he had a couple of outings that he didn't get really stretched out yet until after April 10th. He's actually fifth, though, in the American League. So that that's high enough. Uh, I and, he was first. and actually, Dude, only Alcantara the first. Uh, Shane McClanahan is number one with ninety-one and one-third. So Pavetta's only that's two. He's going to have to go up against two and one-thirds less than that. So, so he's eating up innings. I would also like to point out, in case it's relevant later on, in which I'll probably point it out five more times. His trajectory. Through 2022 is very similar to Rick Porcello's in 2016. Not saying he's going to win the Cy Young because pitching is a lot nastier than it was even just six years ago, but been impressive, been impressive by far. All right, let's uh, go ahead and get into the matchups. Admittedly, I don't have them up. I've I've got them up if you if you need them Terry you let me know I think I've got them right here so game one these are all seven oh seven p.m. starts uh, which I love I hate afternoon games I feel like there haven't been a ton of them this year once we got out of those first three weeks in which they were all afternoon games but a lot of primetime games uh, I'm showing TBD, but I think we can assume that that's Connor Siebold up against it Kevin is. Gosman. That's oh, a tough matchup. That is a tough matchup because we have no idea what the hell we're getting with Connor Siebold. And I'm going to go ahead and take take the Blue Jays in that one because <laughs> Gosman is really, really good. And Toronto did not play well today. Um, their bullpen... However, is gassed. Berrios today, Jose Berrios, who's supposed to be their ace, they gave him a bunch of money. I think 137 million, something like that, on a, on a six-year deal. He went one and one third, gave up eight runs to the Milwaukee Brewers before getting pulled. So their bullpen after today's game really was gassed. So that might lead to some stuff in our favor, but I'm going to take the Blue Jays in Game One. Charlie. Make it two. Make it two. Make it two. There's just nothing that tells me that uh, you're going to be able to beat Kevin Gausman in their house when you're down several bodies. Uh, Toronto has a huge edge in Major League Baseball this year because they're not allowing non-vaccination uh, or non-vaccinated players to, per, uh, to play in Toronto. And uh, Gausman's elite. So Toronto game one, easy. I, I want to pick the Red Sox so bad. I mean, we've won seven, seven in a straight. Row. Yeah. So, but the the neutral uh, podcaster in me has to keep it real. And I'm also going to take the Blue Jays in game one. On April 18th, Kevin Gosman went six innings against the Red Sox, did not give up an earned run, punched out nine. I would like to point out one thing. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't point it out earlier, but I think the Red Sox are a little bit more prepared offensively. I, I think they're analytically a lot more, um, you know, up to Informed. speed. Yeah. 
when when you go to face the Astros, you know they've got the the scouting and everything. You know they're ready for certain things, and and they they set the tone right away. I think Tampa similarly. Tampa, another good example. And I I just th- I think the Red Sox are getting there. So hopefully we'll have a good game plan to attack Gosman to at least give ourselves a prayer. But uh, even with Connor Siebold hitting 95, 96 on the gun compared to 90, 91, what we saw last year, I still can't bring myself uh, to, to pick um, the Red Sox, but we do love a pleasant surprise. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. Well, the good news is Terry game two is not a pleasant surprise. We know what we're getting. Uh, that matchup is going to be Michael Walker and Ross Stripling. And Michael Walker is going to win game two because it's Michael Walker day. And that's what happens when Michael Walker pitches. Charlie. Oh, he doesn't have anything to say. He's going to agree with me. That's, he knows. You're on mute, buddy. And there you go. Thank you. I, see, I do this intentionally so I don't talk over somebody because I talk too much. Uh, so Michael Walker will, will, uh, will most certainly be winning game two. I'm putting up the two fingers as if to say Job and I were lined twice. Uh, it, it, it's going to be split after game two. I don't think that Stripling has it uh, in relation to Waka. Waka has been pitching much better. Stripling can, can do well. That's not an immediate lock. He's had a great month of June, but he had a disastrous month of May, average month of April. So I don't really know what we're going to be what we're going to be seeing if if we see the raw stripling that we've seen in the month of June, it could be interesting. I still like the Red Sox. If we see him in like the May edition when he wasn't only starting, he was starting and relieving. Um, I would absolutely take Michael Waka. So I'm still going Waka here, and it's going to be split one one after two. I will agree with you guys and make it unanimous for Game Two, but. Just a, just a word of caution, I want to say. April 27th, Ross Stripling did pitch very well against the Boston Red Sox. Five innings, only gave up one hit, punched out seven. And he's in a bit of a groove right now, but so is our guy. And but know, offensively, we're gelling. Wait a minute now, because the 27th, Michael Walker allowed one run on four hits in six innings and struck out five. Still got the win. Still got the win. That's what it's all about. Is so Walker and winning Stripling, games. This is this is a a matchup for for those that want to see it. This is a round two, and Waka won round one. So Stripling will have a little chip on his shoulder. Unfortunately, he's going to lose it twice this year. All righty, game three, Wednesday. Nick Pavetta, for some reason I thought he was going to just miss this series. Uh, he will pitch against the Cy Young front runner, Alec Manoa. Job. Well, I mean, we're all going to take Nick Pavetta in this in this <laughs> matchup. He's been the number one like four weeks in a row on this show. Whether it's studs and duds, and he's in the top, he's in the studs category or whether it's weekend top five and he's in the top five in the number one or two spot. He's dominant. He's going to shut him down. We're going to win this series two to one and things keep rolling. Let's go. It's going to be a lot of fun. So 
I don't have Nick Pavetta winning this game. Charlie, this is why. Come on. This is why I need you to mute yourself because you're gonna you're gonna talk over me the whole time. Manoa shut us down completely in April. That was not a fun fun game to watch. Nick Pavetta has gotten cracked twice against Toronto so far. Once there and once at home. Granted, that was during the month of April. They've seen him twice, and he did not pan out too great in either performance. I do have Alec Manoa playing and winning this game. Manoa seems like a man on a damn mission. He just is absolutely locked on. And even though he had one ugly blip against New York this month, he's had several starts this year where he's allowed no runs and just a couple of hits. Scattered three hits in seven innings against us, allowed one hit in six innings against the Yankees. The Yankees. And he's done that three times, or tw- what, twice this year. Um, I can't go against Manoa. He's he's elite, and he's arguably a, a top two, top three pitcher in the American League. I agree with Charlie. I hate you guys. I picked <laughs> I picked the Red Sox to sweep the Indians, but oh, I did it. Oh, I I said it for the first time. I knew we couldn't go through a the whole Guardians, show. the Red Sox. Uh, I picked them to sweep. I should just say Cleveland, and then I can't get it wrong ever. You can't get it wrong. That's true. Can I also add one more thing? Sure, go ahead. Early this year on one of our favorite shows, we all gave our Cy Young picks. Joe, do you remember who you picked? Yeah, he stinks. Jose Barrios. Yeah, he Terry, stinks. do you remember who you picked? I picked the man in that game, Alec you Manoa. You picked Alec Manoa. <laughs> yeah. So I expected you to say Manoa too. I would have been shocked if you, you doubled back and did a little uh, 180 there. I can't I, I, do it. Yeah, no, he's just, he's so talented. He's hes just incredible. So I'm with you. I couldn't do it either. I, I no, think, you're both wrong. So it's going to be fun. I think you might have touched on it, Charlie. Um, What's that? Two starts ago, Manoa tagged for four runs against the Yankees. That's it. That's the only time he's been tagged with four or more runs all year. It's been three or less every time out. That's why he's going to win the Cy Young, and that's why I picked him. So, like I said, I picked the Red Sox to sweep the Guardians. I do not have them winning the series. I would love it if they did, because like I said in the intro, if they do, we will not have lost a series in the month of June, which is insane. Keep it, keep it rolling. And we're still I'm, I'm calling for it. We're still 11 back from the Yankees somehow. So, yeah. We will wrap on that tomorrow. We will be back with you for another edition of Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. So stay tuned for that episode. Everybody have a great Monday. Take care.